Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hello there and welcome to today's program. Delighted that you are able to join in for your weekly helping of collaborative problem solving. Um, Dr. Ross Green here. Uh, We um, are going to be answering email today, but we also already have a caller. Um, This is the uh, grandma who called in from uh, during last week, but we were doing the parents panel last week, so it wasn't the ideal timing, so she's uh, standing by already, Um, but, uh, well, she probably won't be our only caller today, although it wouldn't be uh, unusual for us to take the entire program on one caller, depends on uh, what we got going on, but uh, if you do want to uh, call in and ask a question, that number is 347-994-2981, and, um, well, we'll certainly give you the support and answer the questions and give you the information we can on this program. That's what uh, the program's about, and that's what, of course, the nonprofit Lives in the Balance is all about, Um, support, help, all that kind of good stuff for behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers. So let's um, let's have Grandma come on, and um, then we'll see where the rest of the program goes from there. Grandma, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Good. Um, I've read your email, but the folks listening to this program have not read your email. Can you give us a little bit of background information about what's going on with your grandson and um, what you're looking for help for today? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'll try to make it brief, but probably you all know that this is is very complicated. There's a lot of issues and everything, but um, my grandson is five years old. And um, he, uh, I'm, I'm actually a co-guardian with my daughter um, because uh, she's a single parent. Um, so I've been very involved uh, with him ever since he was born. Um, and he lives with me much of the time. Um, like I said, he is five years old. He started kindergarten this year. We put him in pre-K last year. Um, and he really was uh, although he's very bright, um, he had a lot of uh, issues just um, fitting in behavior-wise. Uh, he actually got suspended uh, as a four-year-old, and uh, you know, one of the times it was for pulling in a, a fire alarm. Uh, he's very impulsive, so they they had some real issues with just keeping him contained. Um, so he went back into daycare um, for the rest of the year. Um, this year started out a little bit rocky. He had some losses this summer um, between my my father passed away, who he was very close.
close with. He also uh, lost a baby brother um, and a couple of pets in there, too. So he was kind of dealing with some of that. Uh, the year started off not too bad, but they knew they were going to have some issues with him, and uh, he was immediately given a full-time aide who stayed with him the entire day. Uh, this is pretty much unprecedented considering they only do that for kids that are classified. Um, and it was a bit rocky at first, worked things out pretty well. He had about six good weeks in the in the fall. And then just before Christmas, um, I have no idea what happened. Nobody knows what triggered it. But um, his behavior st started becoming very outrageous at school. Um, it was mostly things like running away, hiding, um, a little bit of poking at the other kids, some disrespect to teachers, and uh, some destruction of property. Um, then he has started being suspended over and over again. Uh, it got it got pretty bad. Uh, I think I called you about maybe two or three weeks, or I wrote this about two or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, we'd had two weeks of school, and he'd been in school two days out of those two weeks. The rest of the time, he either was sent home or he was being he was being kept home um, as a punitive thing. In other words, he, he got sent home, and then he had to have a day out of suspension. Um, after that, there was, um, I think out of three weeks, he actually had three days of school. Actually, things oh. have gotten a little bit better, <laughs> believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, let me tell you about some of the behaviors that we've been noticing during this time. He went from, you know, pretty much non-physical things to where he was being sent home because the only time they send him home is if he does something violent, okay? So the violent part was accelerating. He was, he was um, hitting, kicking, spitting, punching, karate chopping, running away, um, that type of thing. So that's why he was constantly being sent home. Um, at the same time, we, my daughter and I, we met with um, the um, special ed department. Uh, he does have an IEP. Uh, it's still being developed because they're doing a lot of evaluating. Uh, we did have him, I did take him to a child psychiatrist who mm -hmm. basically all we did was um, we, the three of us were in the room and were interviewed by him and he didn't see anything in particular and that was the end of that. I'm not really sure I understood that whole thing. Um, but he, you know, he said, well, he's got a little of this and a little of that and that was about where that ended. Um, he does, like I said, he, he does have an IEP in place now so that he can receive services, and it was determined that he would um, have 30 minutes a day with a school psychologist, 30 minutes a day working in a self-contained classroom doing socialization skills. Um, unfortunately, the behaviors were so bad at this point that he was out of school all the time. He wasn't getting these services, and so that's that's when I what prompted me to um, email you. Um, since then, uh, well, throughout this whole time, I've been 
doing my own research. I am a retired school teacher. I just retired this fall. Mm-hmm. And I've pretty much devoted myself to uh, advocating for him because, um, well, you know, it's obviously I care great, a great deal for him. Um, and I, I also feel that I'm always a parent, so I, I'm helping my daughter out as well because obviously she has her hands full. And um, so I did a lot of research, and that's where I came apro- across your uh, the website. And I st- I started reading um, the Explosive Child. I and I started reading it, and I said, Oh my gosh, this is him. This book was written about him. It was so dead on. I mean, it was like I could have written it myself. Um, and I did start um, doing the Plan B with him myself. Um, I didn't really say too much to anybody else at this point. I was just kind of feeling my way there, and I was really beginning to see some success there myself. So um, I reached out to my daughter, um, gave her the information. She's just starting to get into it now. She's She's got the book and she's reading. And um, she's she's beginning to, um, you know, pick up some things from there. I, I see some positive things there. I've also informed the school as to what I was doing. And I saw that you have a conference in Syracuse coming up. That's right, yeah, right. And I'm really trying to encourage them to send some people there. I plan to go myself, and I'm I'm hoping to encourage them to send at least one person from the school. Uh, And I did get pamphlets and uh, pass those on to them, and I'm going to follow up on that um, as well. Um, as a matter of fact, I had an, uh, a conversation with my daughter this morning because I told her that I was going to be talking to you. And believe it or not, things actually are looking better at school. <laughs> uh, well, let me give you a little bit more background. Actually, at home, his behaviors are fairly manageable. He he has a pretty good control. Um, he does some kind of um, kind of babyish things at home you know he cries easily once in a while that type of thing but he has a pretty good handle on his emotions most of the time and and we've we've been able to work things through and he's pretty comfortable at home it's at school that he has the huge issues we don't see the violence at home um and we don't you know we don't see those really outrageous behaviors at home it's at right. school this is coming out and that's well, where so our big concern the- is when you say that things are better at school, what do you mean? Okay, um, well, it wouldn't look that way on paper because every day we get a report home, and, I mean, it's like a laundry list. But what we were seeing before was hitting, ki- kicking, punching, karate chopping, running away, hiding, that type of thing. Um, it's still a laundry list, but it's more verbal now. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, more uh, lashing out verbally, I hate you, I don't want to, Um, you're stupid, you're an idiot, that type of thing. Um, I know that doesn't sound good, but it's it's so much better than than the the physical. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, well. (laughs) Okay, so we're seeing that as a positive thing, because they are trying desperately to help him at school. Uh, It's just taking so much time. Trying desperately to help him is fantastic. I'm glad that they are invested in seeing him do better. 
They are. And it's amazing the amount of manpower that a child like this really requires. And, well, and see, I, I guess I guess gotta commend them point. for that because they are putting it out. Yeah. Here's my key point. I'm a little well, I'm very concerned that your grandson it appears to me that your grandson is having difficulty dealing with the demands that are being placed upon him at various points throughout the school day. Yes. It is at those specific points in the day where he becomes, where he exhibits the behaviors that are causing them to suspend him. Right. If we want, now, first of all, it would really be great if the school, while we are waiting for them to figure out what the plan is, came up with an interim plan, and maybe they've done this already, but I'm not hearing it, came up with an interim plan for what his day was going to look like while they're figuring out what his day is ultimately going to look like so that he doesn't keep getting suspended while they're trying to figure out what the plan for him is. That's not exactly. ideal. Yes, and right? that's, that's what's happened. Um, I I became very, very concerned, and I, I I went to them and I said, this is, this is not acceptable. Suspending him is not working. It's actually creating another whole routine for him. Um, because that became his routine, was to act out, get suspended, go home. Um, and that, was, that became his normal almost. Um, so in the meantime, they, they did take that to heart. And so the, the, the interim plan is that he still has a, a one-on-one aide. He also has a caseworker from the CSE working with him. Um, they're making observations, trying to determine what the triggers are. It's been very difficult. Um, there are certain times of day, obviously, that he has more trouble than others. Um, and they also have, you know, they're kind of floundering like we have at home, you know, trying different things. But they do have a, a, a room that he can go in uh, when he's having... See, but that's 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 the important point. Yes. They have a room that he can go in when he's having difficulty. Right. And that's, now, that's, now it's hang not... Hang on just a sec. Hang on just a sec. That's a fantastic thing. But better than that is to figure out proactively the specific conditions in which they already know he's going to have difficulty right? and to come up with a plan for an interim plan, once again, at least for the time being, so that we know what that's going to look like so that he doesn't end up having to go to a special room because he hasn't gotten upset because we have a plan in place that we were able to get in place proactively because we knew the times in the day when he was especially going to run into trouble. Right. Yeah, I, and I do think for. that they have done that. Or they're, it, like I say, it's, it's been pretty fluid. They're, they've been trying different things, and they do have um, a self-contained classroom. There are only two other children, I believe, in there and um, several adults. Um, and basically, if he's not cutting it in the regular classroom, he'll be there. Um, plus, he's also seeing, you know, he has other places he goes to d- throughout the day. If he's not making it in a special, like a gym or something like that. But I think that's um, my point. My point yeah. is yes. the times of the day where he's going to have difficulty are highly predictable. Mm-hmm. 
I believe, and I don't know much about him, but I know about challenging kids, and he sounds like a behaviorally challenging kid. Oh, yes. And (laughs) every behaviorally challenging kid I've ever worked with, their challenging episodes were highly predictable. Mm -hmm. Sounds like the school is putting a meaningful amount of effort into figuring out what they're going to do with your grandson if he should happen to be having difficulty in a particular circumstance. What I'm saying is that's emergent intervention. Right. That's what we do when things are already going poorly. We're going to be running around with chickens like chickens with our heads cut off a lot right. less if we are using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems mm-hmm. the form that they can find on the Lives in the Balance website. Yes, I have that in fig- front of me. Good. To figure out these specific conditions in which we already know your grandson's going to run into trouble and come up with a plan with him preferably. That's collaborative problem solving. Right. But gather information from him. That would be the empathy step of plan B about what's getting in his way in those specific situations and in collaboration with him come up with a plan for what those conditions are going to look like um, instead of having him lose it, which we already knew he was going to do in those conditions, and us having to figure out how we get him to this other part of the building or this other classroom when he's already in the midst of losing it. We don't want him to have to lose it for us to know that something's the matter. Right. We already know something's the matter because of all the times he's lost it in those conditions already. Does that make sense? Yep. And that's that's what we that's what my daughter and I talked about this morning. Um we we want to get into the school and say this is what we're doing. We are doing plan B. We want you to do plan B. And they're really they're they're getting there and I and I see that they're using pieces of it. Um as a matter of fact, this this assessment um I believe this is a, one of the documents that that we used when we were first um, you know, at the beginning stages of the IEP. Um, this was given out to the teachers, and I believe that we got one to fill out as well. Um, so they are using pieces of it, um, but what I'm seeing is that there are some people that are trying to do the Plan B, there are, and, but for the most part, people are still doing Plan A. It's, right, you know, I'm sure. It's almost down, you know, down the board. And, so I'd like um, to make an offer to you. This is this is probably the maximum kind of help I could give you, and I've made this offer a few times on the program, but nobody's taken me up on it yet. Okay. If you want to let the school folks know that I'm delighted to um, speak with them on this program to help them know more about collaborative problem solving, we wouldn't identify who they are. We okay. use different names. We wouldn't use your grandson's name, so no one would know who he is. We wouldn't use locations. We wouldn't use any identifying information. Um, But I would be delighted to have them join in on the program. We could have a discussion about your grandson, a discussion about how they could use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to get to know him better, to pinpoint the specific conditions in which he's running into trouble, um, and to help them come up with a plan to help him better and to help him move away from plan A and move toward plan B, I would Mm -hmm. be delighted to have them on the program if that's something that they're interested in doing. Well, I'm definitely going to approach them about that. 
Because I think See what they want to do. It's a wonderful idea. Good. So, but you've got the tools. The the hard part is you're not ideally situated to get them to do it because they're the school and you're you. But it sounds like y'all are trying to work together, and that's good. It sounds like things are not adversarial. I'm not getting a huge whiff of adversarial interactions between you and the school. It sounds like you're saying that they're working hard. You're saying that they're doing their your, their best. Um, sounds like you are. Sounds like your daughter is. We're going to assume because kids do all if they can. Your grandson's trying his best too. He is, and and that was another point I w- I wanted to make. That another observation that I had um, made just recently, and I don't know if I've got the right take on it or not. I was wondering if I could run that by Go you. Go ahead. We got, we got a few more minutes. I got a bunch of email I want to answer okay. today too, but let's 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 do it. Okay. Um, just. Well, just in the last couple of days. Now, he he had a, a really good weekend, a good end of the last week, um, and then yesterday morning started out really well. And, I mean, I can always tell where he's at when I drop him off at school. And yesterday was just horrendous. Um, like I said, a laundry list. But there weren't any of the violent things in there, which was kind of cool. But... He came home and he was so agitated, and he was back to the, the being really hypersensitive about things, about noises, about even his hair touching his face, that type of thing. And I'm wondering um, if he was so agitated because he was really working on holding it together at school, and if if you know if that was what was agitating him, because even though he you know, he had a rough day. Um, he, you know, like I said, there weren't any of the physical things that went on. He, you know, he acted out. He said things. You know, he told somebody he was going to kill her and all this stuff. But it came out more verbal. And I'm just, I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but to me it sounds like um, he was really struggling to hold it together, and that's, that was what was causing his agitation. It took him a while to really settle down yesterday. Well, and that's as viable a hypothesis as any, I suspect. Um, I'm not completely sure, but there are many behaviorally challenging kids who put so much energy into holding it together at school, and they do their best, and that, that's another indication that your grandson is working very hard, but then mm-hmm. lose it when they are no longer in that environment. Right. Um, And, you know, what all this basically says is nothing takes the place, nothing, of figuring out what's getting in your grandson's way, lagging skills. That's the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. It'll give you that information. And nothing nothing takes the place of figuring out these specific conditions in which behaviorally challenging kids are exhibiting their challenging behavior, in other words, the conditions in which the environment is demanding the skills that they're lacking. Those, of course, are called unsolved problems. And nothing takes the place of solving those problems collaboratively with the child, plan B, mm-hmm. so that so that we adults really understand what's getting in the child's way and so that we come up with solutions that work not only for us but also for the child. And I would call those informed solutions because they are informed by the empathy step of plan B, which is where we are gathering the information we need so that we understand what's really going on with a kid 
and we can come up with solutions that work for them as well. Right, Not and he, he does respond very well. He's beginning to develop a little bit more vocabulary as far as his feelings go. That was one well, of the and things. it wouldn't be feelings. It would be more um, what's getting in his way during hmm. recess. So while I might be interested in knowing that he finds recess to be frustrating, if he's got that word in his vocabulary, and given what you're telling me about him, he may not, I really want to know what it is about recess that's hard for him. So less feelings... And more concerns. What's, and then, what, is it, what is it that's hard for you? What's causing you to get upset in recess? What's right, going to get on? upset. Right. He calls it. He calls it feeling mean. Um, whatever he wants to call getting upset, sure. I'm, I'm happy for him to call. The, the faster we can replace uh, getting mean with frustrated or mm-hmm. something's going on that's not working for you, the better. Um, because we don't want him to think that this is a character trait. We just want him to understand that there must be something going on in recess that's hard for him. What is it? That's it. Let the school know that I'm happy to help. And feel free to call in any time. It sounds like y'all are starting to move in the right direction. Please keep me and the other people who listen to this program posted. Um, Thank you for calling in today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck with your grandson. I think he's lucky to have you working for him. Well, thank you. You bet. Well, good. Um, always happy to help. Wish I had more time to do it. Um, boy, there sure are a lot of tough stories out there. And um, that's why I'm putting so much energy into training up folks who can provide collaborative problem-solving. Some of them are done. A bunch of more are going to be done probably in the next two or three months. My goal is to have somebody nearby who is a really good provider of collaborative problem-solving, no matter where people live. And, um, yeah, that takes a lot of energy, but... Nowhere near the amount of energy that put people are putting in, and things are still not going very well. That, of course, is uh, that's a shame. All right, we do not have any other callers at the moment, so as I usually do, I'm turning to the email. Here we go. Dr. Green, several members of our Lost at School book club, I'm going to read this one even though I'm going to do it on the educator program too, Several members of our Lost at School, because it's relevant to parents too, are wondering about Plan A and Plan B. Here's one comment. Limits make kids feel safe. Limits feel like Plan A to me. If all our interactions are Plan B, would the lack of limits deprive kids of feeling safe? I'd be interested in your thoughts on the issues of limits, safety, and plan A and plan B. All right. You're going to get them. You're uh, setting limits. Anytime you have a concern, well, first, you know what? Let me distinguish between two things here. Limits and expectations. I think that's the place to start. I think kids feel safe when adults have expectations for them. I think kids feel like there's some structure there. It feels good to kids to know that they are not out there 
fending for themselves all alone before they're able. Good for adults to have expectations, and here's the good news. You've got expectations whether you're using plan A or plan B. But plans A and B and C are responses to unmet expectations. So expectations uh, in our building or in our family, we um, don't say or do things that are hurtful to each other. In our school, in our family, we are respectful of each other's property. Those are expectations. And the good news is that uh, most kids don't have any difficulty meeting those expectations. As you know, in the collaborative problem-solving territories, we assume that that's because they have the skills to meet those expectations. We also assume that if a kid isn't meeting those expectations, it must be because something's getting in his way. Otherwise, he'd be meeting those expectations. So the first thing to establish here is the difference between limits and expectations. In collaborative problem solving, you have expectations. If you're not doing collaborative problem solving, I certainly hope you have expectations. One of the big misconceptions about collaborative problem solving is that it means having no expectations. That's incorrect. Of course you have expectations. I hope they're realistic. I hope that what you're expecting of this kid is something he or she can actually deliver the goods on. Otherwise, that's challenging behavior waiting to happen. Challenging behavior occurs when the demands being placed upon a kid exceed the skills the kid has to respond adaptively to those demands. So unrealistic expectations are often behind a lot of challenging behavior. All right, now, plan A is one way to deal with unmet expectations, unsolved problems. Plan B is another way to deal with the exact same unmet expectation or unsolved problem. These are just two different ways to solve the same problem. Any problem you can solve using plan A, you can just as easily solve using plan B. Well, maybe not just as easily. Plan B is very hard in the beginning until people get good at it. Then it's not so hard. You're setting limits when you're making sure that you're expectations are met you're setting limits when your concerns about the way a child is conducting himself are being addressed there are two ways to do that with plan a you're doing that by solving the problem unilaterally typically through imposition of adult will and when that's not going very well, adults then do the next thing that adults often do. They add adult-imposed consequences to the mix. I do not think that makes kids feel safe. I think that when adults are imposing their will on kids, and especially when it's not going very well, and kids exhibit challenging behavior in response to plan A, nobody, kid included, feels safe. You're setting limits, whether you're doing plan A or plan B. You have expectations 
even before you start thinking about plan A and plan B. Plans A and B are for unmet expectations. Plan B, instead of solving the problem unilaterally, you're solving the problem collaboratively. And that begins with us gathering as much information as we can in the empathy step of plan B about the kid's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem we're talking with him about. The unsolved problem, the problem of him having difficulty meeting some of our expectations and perhaps even what he looks like when he's having difficulty meeting those expectations and what he looks like when we are busy imposing our will and adding adult-imposed consequences when he's having difficulty meeting our expectations. I think that when kids start giving us information about what's getting in their way on a particular unsolved problem, they start to feel safer because they finally feel like somebody understands what is getting in their way. They may not have understood it too well themselves, but the conversation, the empathy step, will clarify it not only for us, but also for them. Now I'm starting to feel safer. I understand. And the kid is starting to understand, and the kid's starting to feel heard. I think when we come up with solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory, and the solutions get the job done, kids feel safer because now they're not losing it anymore. Now they're not getting upset over that unsolved problem anymore. Now they're not getting unsafe anymore. I think we're all starting to feel safer now. So isn't this fascinating? I actually think plan A makes us feel less safe, not more safe, but now I've clarified the important point. The important points, we have expectations, whether we're doing plan A or plan B. We are setting limits by making sure that our concerns get addressed, whether we're doing plan A or plan B. But there's a lot of things about plan A that I find cause us and the kid to feel less safe. And there's a lot of things about plan B that make us and the kid feel more safe. I feel a lot safer when I understand what's going on in a kid's head and why he's acting the way he is on a particular unsolved problem. I feel a lot safer that way than I do, well, I don't do this anymore, than I would if I knew nothing about what was going on in the kid's head. See, plan A doesn't have an empathy step. Plan A is just imposition of adult will. You're making it happen through sheer force of adult will. You've decided what the solution is, and those solutions are typically uninformed solutions because Plan A has no empathy step. You don't get the information you're looking for. You don't make sure that the kids' concerns get addressed. Boy, I'm not feeling safe at all that way. All your interactions aren't plan B. The way you're dealing with unsolved problems are plan B. But if a kid is meeting your expectations, which we've now established you still have, 
You don't need plan B. You don't need plan A. You don't need plan C. If an expectation is getting met, you don't need a plan. It's a met expectation. You only need plans A, B, and C, hopefully mostly B and C, for the expectations that aren't getting met, the problems that aren't yet solved. When people are implementing Plan B, they feel a lot safer. And I dare say, a lot safer than they felt when they were causing a whole bunch of challenging behavior when they were doing Plan A. Thanks for that question. I don't think we've talked about that question on this program before. And, well, we're always happy to answer some new ones, and I think that's a very interesting topic. So, thank you. Let's see if we can get one more in here. Uh, Hang on one second here as I sort through them. There were a few others I wanted to make sure we answer here. Uh, Here's one. Hi, Dr. Green. We live in Australia. And our 13-year-old nonverbal autistic son, who is adorable 90% of the time, hasn't got the ability to cope 10% of the time and melts down or explodes and gets physically aggressive and he's getting stronger. I like the way you look at things. Uh, I was going to buy your book, The Explosive Child First, and see where that takes us. Feel free to do that. But just wanted to know how applicable collaborative problem solving is for nonverbal kids, or is there a better direction of yours we should go first? Well, the examples in The Explosive Child are primarily with kids who are verbal. Um, The reality is the conversations of nonverbal kids don't make for great books because well, they may not be saying anything, so it's hard to depict what they are doing in book form. However, there are sections of The Explosive Child where I do talk about how to implement collaborative problem solving with kids who do not have the words to participate. And yes, it is possible to do collaborative problem solving with kids who are nonverbal. And this I have talked about a little bit before on this program. And there are other programs in the archives the listening library of the uh, Lives in the Balance website. Um, So if you scan through them, they're organized by topic, and you will find programs on using collaborative problem solving with kids who are very compromised in the language processing and communication domain. But um, as you all know, those of you who listen to the program regularly, my reference point on this is infants who do not have words. But do we collaborate with infants? Yes, we do. First of all, we recognize, boy, I saw this going on in the airport the other day. I don't remember what airport I was in because I was in a few last week, but and I think it was in an airport, but I'm not going to remember which airport, and it doesn't matter. But I saw a mom that was at a Starbucks in an airport. Still not going to remember the airport. I saw a mom and her daughter was becoming a very young daughter I guess a year old didn't look like there were a whole lot of words there and I could be wrong on the age somewhere between 6 and 12 months daughter in the carriage was getting agitated how do how was the daughter letting her mother know she was agitated Uh, she was starting to cry get whiny and crying the mother um gave her her bottle, and the infant 
whatever the kid's age, 6 to 12 years old, the little girl, stop crying. I remember thinking to myself, wow, kind of like collaborative problem solving. Now, it kind of seems obvious, but all that was happening there was the child, very young, no words, uh, had an unsolved problem. Thirsty, hungry. So there we there we go. Infants do have unsolved problems. We all do. But unsolved problems aren't limited to people who have the words to tell us about them. Un- unsolved problems apply to the kids who don't have the words to tell us about them, too. Uh, infants and young kids have concerns about those unsolved problems. Having concerns is not the domain solely of kids who have the words. It's the domain of kids who don't have the words, too. And the mom gave her daughter a bottle, and that seemed to get the job done, at least for so long as I was observing the situation. I think I was in a hurry to get off to a flight. I'm about to remember the airport. St. Louis, there. You didn't care, but I did. Just proves that at my advancing age, I still do have some memory cells left. If the bottle wasn't what the kid had needed, the kid would have given her mom that feedback. The mom, who appeared to be being very responsive, would have tried to figure out what else was getting in her daughter's way and applied another potential intervention. That's collaboration. Can you collaborate with an infant? We do it all the time. But infants don't have words. But what I always say is if you can collaborate with an infant, you can collaborate with a nonverbal 12-month-old, 4-year-old, 9-year-old, 13-year-old. I'm delighted that uh, he's adorable. I don't have a great sense. Uh, It says son. Glad that he's adorable 90% of the time. What we got to figure out is what are the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging behavior that other 10% of the time? Let's see if we can figure out what those unsolved problems are, and let's see if we can engage your nonverbal autistic son in the collaborative resolution of those problems, perhaps through the use of pictures. Here's the thing. Pictures aren't really an option with very, very young kids, but they are an option for older kids. So the interesting thing is sometimes you actually have greater options with nonverbal, somewhat older kids. But do also try to find the programs on the Lives in the Balance website related to that topic specifically. Uh, I've only got about another minute left in this program, and that's an entire 45-minute program devoted solely to that topic. Um, But also, thank you for emailing in and for your question. Always a great one. And um, I think that's going to do it for us today here on Parent Challenge Child. Be back next week with another program. Keep those emails coming. There's so many in the inbox that I haven't had a chance to get through, but I like to answer the ones that I answer as thoroughly as possible, so sometimes that takes a while. Callers always take priority on the program, so if you've got something tugging at you 
and you want to make sure that you get your question answered, well, you know where to call next week, Parenting Your Challenging Child, right here on this program. Uh, in the meantime, hope you have a good week, and uh, good luck with collaborative problem solving during the week. Uh, you know where to turn if you need help with it. Take care.